Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today, we have a surprise for you, a doubleheader from Saki. The first story, The Schwartz Metterklume Method, and the second story, The Open Window. Both are humorous stories that poke fun at Victorian society. I think you'll enjoy them both. Hector Hugh Monroe, known to us as Saki, was a witty British author who published under the pen name Saki, or H.H. Monroe. The inspiration for the pen name Saki is unknown. It might be based upon a character in a poem around a South American monkey. Given Monroe's intellect, wit, and mischievous nature, it's possible it was based on both simultaneously. As a writer, Saki was a master of the short story form and is often compared to O. Henry and Dorothy Parker. Saki had a penchant for mocking the popular customs and manners of Edwardian England. He often did so by depicting characters in a setting and manner that would contrast their behavior with that of the natural world, often demonstrating that the simple and straightforward rules of nature would always trump the vanities of men. In the first story, The Chartres Metterclue Method, an arrogant aristocrat mistakes Lady Carlotta for her new governess. It's important to note that a governess is a woman employed in a private household to educate pupils, usually girls, in a range of accomplishments, ranging from reading to drawing. Governesses became increasingly popular throughout the Victorian era for both the upper and middle classes. The term lady in the Victorian era described women of a high social class or status, the female equivalent of a lord. And now, on with our story. Lady Carlotta stepped out onto the platform of the small wayside station and took a turn or two up and down its uninteresting length to kill time till the train should be pleased to proceed on its way. Then, in the roadway beyond, she saw a horse struggling with a more than ample load, and a carter of the sort that seems to bear a sullen hatred against the animal that helps him to earn a living. Lady Carlotta promptly betook her to the roadway, and put rather a different complexion on the struggle. Certain of her acquaintances were wont to give her plentiful admonition as to the undesirability of interfering on behalf of a distressed animal. Such interference being none of her business. Only once had she put the doctrine of non-interference into practice, when one of its most eloquent exponents had been besieged for nearly three hours in a small and extremely uncomfortable may-tree by an angry boar-pig, while Lady Carlotta, on the other side of the fence, had proceeded with the watercolor sketch she was engaged on, and refused to interfere between the boar and his prisoner. It is to be feared that she lost the friendship of the ultimately rescued lady. On this occasion, she merely lost the train, which gave way to the first sign of impatience it had shown throughout the journey, and steamed off without her. She bore the desertion with philosophical indifference. Her friends and relations were thoroughly well used to the fact of her luggage arriving without her. She wired a vague, non-committal message to her destination to say that she was coming on by another train. Before she had time to think what her next move might be, she was confronted by an imposingly attired lady, who seemed to be taking a prolonged mental inventory of her clothes and looks. "'You must be Miss Hope, the governess I've come to meet,' said the apparition, in a tone that admitted a very little argument. "'Very well. If I must, I must.' "'said Lady Carlotta to herself with dangerous meekness. "'I am Mrs. Quabari,' continued the lady, 
"'And where, pray, is your luggage?' "'It's gone astray,' said the alleged governess, "'falling in with the excellent rule of life "'that the absent are always to blame. "'The luggage had, in point of fact, "'behaved with perfect correctitude. "'I've just telegraphed about it,' she added, "'with a nearer approach to truth. "'How provoking,' said Mrs. Quabari. "'These railway companies are so careless. "'However, my maid can lend you things for the night.' "'And she led the way to her car.' During the drive to the Quabari mansion, Lady Carlotta was impressively introduced to the nature of the charge that had been thrust upon her. She learned that Claude and Wilfred were delicate, sensitive young people, that Irene had the artistic temperament highly developed, and that Viola was something or other else of a mold equally commonplace among children of that class and type in the twentieth century. "'I wish them not only to be taught,' said Mrs. Quabari, but interested in what they learn. In their history lessons, for instance, you must try to make them feel that they're being introduced to the life stories of men and women who really lived, not merely committing a mass of names and dates to memory. French, of course, I shall expect you to talk at mealtimes several days in the week. I shall talk French four days of the week and Russian in the remaining three. Russian? My dear Miss Hope, "'No one in the house speaks or understands Russian. "'That will not embarrass me in the least,' said Lady Carlotta, coldly. "'Mrs. Quabari, to use a colloquial expression, was knocked off her perch. "'She was one of those imperfectly self-assured individuals "'who are magnificent and autocratic as long as they are not seriously opposed. "'The least show of unexpected resistance goes a long way "'towards rendering them cowed and apologetic.' When the new governess failed to express wondering admiration of the large, newly purchased and expensive car, and lightly alluded to the superior advantages of one or two makes which had just been put on the market, the discomfiture of her patroness became almost abject. Her feelings were those which might have animated a general of ancient warfaring days on beholding his heaviest battle elephant ignominiously driven off the field by slingers and javelin throwers. At dinner that evening, although reinforced by her husband, who usually duplicated her opinions and lent her moral support generally, Mrs. Quabari regained none of her lost ground. The governess not only helped herself well and truly to wine, but held forth with considerable show of critical knowledge on various vintage matters concerning which the Quabaris were in no wise able to pose as authorities. Previous governesses had limited their conversation on the wine topic to a respectful and doubtless sincere expression of a preference for water. When this one went as far as to recommend a wine firm in whose hands you could not go very wrong, Mrs. Quabari thought it time to turn the conversation into more usual channels. "'We got very satisfactory references about you from Canon Teep,' she observed. "'A very estimable man, I should think. "'Drinks like a fish and beats his wife, otherwise a very lovable character.' "'said the governess, imperturbably. "'My dear Miss Hope, "'I trust you are exaggerating,' "'exclaimed the Quabaris in unison. "'One must in justice admit "'that there is some provocation,' "'continued the romancer. "'Mrs. Teep is quite the most irritating bridge player "'that I've ever sat down with. "'Her leads and declarations "'would condone a certain amount of brutality "'in her partner.' but to souse her with the contents of the only soda-water siphon in the house 
on a Sunday afternoon, when one couldn't get another, argues an indifference to the comfort of others which I cannot altogether overlook. You may think me hasty in my judgments, but it was practically on account of the siphon incident that I left. We will talk of this some other time, said Mrs. Quabari hastily. I shall never allude to it again, said the governess with decision. Mr. Quabari made a welcome diversion by asking what studies the new instructress proposed to inaugurate on the morrow. History to begin with, she informed him. Ah, history, he observed sagely. Now in teaching them history, you must take care to interest them in what they learn. You must make them feel that they are being introduced to the life stories of men and women who really lived. I've told her all that, interposed Mrs. Quabari. I teach history on the Schartz Metterklum method, said the governess loftily. Ah, yes, said her listeners, thinking it expedient to assume an acquaintance at least with the name. Part 2 "'What are you children doing out here?' demanded Mrs. Quabari the next morning on finding Irene sitting rather glumly at the head of the stairs while her sister was perched in an attitude of depressed discomfort on the window-seat behind her, with a wolf-skin rug almost covering her. "'We are having a history lesson,' came the unexpected reply. "'I am supposed to be Rome, and Viola up there is the she-wolf. Not a real wolf, but the figure of one that the Romans used to set store by.' I forget why. Claude and Wilfred have gone to fetch the shabby women. The shabby women? Yes, they've got to carry them off. They didn't want to, but Miss Hope got one of Father's five bats and said she'd give them a number nine spanking if they didn't. So they've gone to do it. A loud, angry screaming from the direction of the lawn drew Mrs. Quabari thither in hot haste, fearful lest the threatened castigation might even now be in the process of infliction. The outcry, however, came principally from the two small daughters of the lodgekeeper, who were being hauled and pushed towards the house by the panting and disheveled Claude and Wilford, whose task was rendered even more arduous by the incessant, if not very effectual, attacks of the captured maiden's small brother. The governess, fives bat in hand, sat negligently on the stone balustrade, presiding over the scene with the cold impartiality of a goddess of battles. A furious and repeated chorus of "'I'll tell mother!' rose from the lodge children, but the lodge mother, who was hard of hearing, was for the moment immersed in the preoccupation of her wash-tub. After an apprehensive glance in the direction of the lodge, the good woman was gifted with the highly militant temper which is sometimes the privilege of deafness. Mrs. Quabari flew indignantly to the rescue of the struggling captives. "'Wilfred! Claude! Let those children go at once! Miss Hope!' What on earth is the meaning of this scene? Early Roman history. The Sabine women, don't you know? It's the Schartz Metterklum method to make children understand history by acting it themselves. Fixes it in their memory, you know. Of course, thanks to your interference, your boys go through life thinking that the Sabine women ultimately escaped. I really cannot be held responsible. You must be very clever and modern, Miss Hope said Mrs. Quabari, firmly. But I should like you to leave here by the next train. Your luggage will be sent after you as soon as it arrives. I'm not certain exactly where I shall be for the next few days, said the dismissed instructress of youth. 
"'You might keep my luggage till I wire my address. "'There are only a couple of trunks and some golf clubs and a leopard cub.' "'A leopard cub?' gasped Mrs. Quabari. "'Even in her departure, this extraordinary person seemed destined to leave a trail of embarrassment behind her. "'Well, it's rather left of being a cub. "'It's more than half grown, you know. "'A fowl every day and a rabbit on Sundays is what it usually gets. "'Raw beef makes it too excitable. "'Don't trouble about getting the car for me. "'I'm rather inclined for a walk.' "'And Lady Carlotta strode out of the Quabari horizon.' The advent of the genuine Miss Hope, who had made a mistake as to the day on which she was due to arrive, caused a turmoil which that good lady was quite unused to inspiring. Obviously the Quabari family had been woefully befooled, but a certain amount of relief came with the knowledge. "'How tiresome for you, dear Carlotta,' said her hostess, when the overdue guest ultimately arrived. "'How very tiresome losing your train and having to stop overnight in a strange place.' "'Oh, dear, no,' said Lady Carlotta. "'Not at all tiresome for me.'" We'll return to our second Saki story, The Open Window, right after these messages from our sponsors. And now for our second Saki story. And now our second story, The Open Window, by H. H. Monroe, known to us as Saki. "'My aunt will be down presently,' "'Mr. Nuttall,' said a very self-possessed young lady of fifteen. "'In the meantime, you must try and put up with me.' Frampton Nuttall endeavoured to say the correct something which should duly flatter the niece of the moment, without unduly discounting the aunt that was to come. Privately he doubted more than ever whether these formal visits on a succession of total strangers would do much towards helping the nerve cure which he was supposed to be undergoing. "'I know how it will be,' his sister had said, "'when he was preparing to migrate to this rural retreat. "'You will bury yourself down there "'and not speak to a living soul, "'and your nerves will be worse than ever from moping. "'I shall just give you letters of introduction "'to all the people I know there. "'Some of them, as far as I can remember, "'were quite nice.' "'Frampton wondered whether Mrs. Sappleton, "'the lady to whom he was presenting "'one of the letters of introduction, "'came into the nice division. "'Do you know many of the people round here?' "'asked the niece, when she judged that they had had sufficient silent communion. "'Hardly a soul,' said Frampton. "'My sister was staying here, at the rectory, you know, some four years ago, and she gave me letters of introduction to some of the people here.' He made the last statement in a tone of distinct regret. "'Then you know practically nothing about my aunt,' pursued the self-possessed young lady. "'Only her name and address,' admitted the caller. He was wondering whether Mrs. Sappleton was in the married or widowed state. An undefinable something about the room seemed to suggest masculine habitation. "'Her great tragedy happened just three years ago,' said the child. "'That would be since your sister's time.' "'Her tragedy?' asked Frampton. Somehow in this restful country spot tragedy seemed out of place. "'You may wonder why we keep that window wide open on an October afternoon,' said the niece. "'indicating a large French window that opened onto a lawn. "'It is quite warm for the time of the year,' said Frampton. "'But has that window got anything to do with the tragedy?' "'Out through that window, three years ago to a day, "'her husband and her two young brothers went off for their day's shooting. "'They never came back. 
In crossing the moor to their favorite snipe shooting ground, they were all three engulfed in a treacherous piece of bog. It had been that dreadful wet summer, you know, and places that were safe in other years gave way suddenly without warning. Their bodies were never recovered. That was the dreadful part of it. Here the child's voice lost its self-possessed note and became falteringly human. Poor aunt always thinks that they will come back some day, they and the little brown spaniel that was lost with them, and walk in that window just as they used to do. That is why the window is kept open every evening till it's quite dusk. Poor dear aunt! She's often told me how they went out, her husband with his white waterproof coat over his arm, and Ronnie, her youngest brother, singing, Bertie, why do you bound? As he always did to tease her, because she said it got on her nerves. Do you know, sometimes on still, quiet evenings like this, I almost get a creepy feeling that they all walk in through that window. She broke off with a little shudder. It was a relief to Frampton when the aunt bustled into the room with a whirl of apologies for being late in making her appearance. "'I hope Vera has been amusing you,' she said. Uh, "'She's been very interesting,' said Frampton. "'I hope you don't mind the open window,' said Mrs. Sappleton briskly. "'My husband and brothers will be home directly from shooting, and they always come in this way. They've been out for snipe in the marshes today, so they'll make a fine mess over my poor carpets.' "'So like you menfolk, isn't it?' "'She rattled on cheerfully about the shooting "'and the scarcity of birds "'and the prospects for duck in the winter. "'To Frampton it was all purely horrible. "'He made a desperate but only partially successful effort "'to turn the talk on to a less ghastly topic. "'He was conscious that his hostess "'was giving him only a fragment of her attention, "'and her eyes were constantly straying past him "'to the open window and the lawn beyond.' It was certainly an unfortunate coincidence that he should have paid his visit on this tragic anniversary. The doctors agree in ordering me complete rest, an absence of mental excitement, and avoidance of anything in the nature of violent physical exercise, announced Frampton, who labored under the tolerably widespread delusion that total strangers and chance acquaintances are hungry for the least detail of one's ailments and infirmities, their cause and cure. "'On the matter of diet, they're not so much in agreement,' he continued. "'No?' said Mrs. Appleton, in a voice which only replaced a yawn at the last moment. Then she suddenly brightened into alert attention, but not to what Frampton was saying. "'Here they are, at last!' she cried. "'Just in time for tea, and don't they look as if they were muddy up to the eyes?' Frampton shivered slightly, and turned towards the niche with a look intended to convey sympathetic comprehension. The child was staring out through the open window with a dazed horror in her eyes. In a chill shock of nameless fear, Frampton swung round in his seat and looked in the same direction. In the deepening twilight, three figures were walking across the lawn towards the window. They all carried guns under their arms, and one of them was additionally burdened with a white coat hung over his shoulders. A tired brown spaniel kept close at their heels. Noiselessly they neared the house, and then a hoarse young voice chanted out of the dusk, "'I said, Bertie, why do you bound?' Frampton grabbed wildly at his stick and hat. The hall door, the gravel drive, and the front gate were dimly noted stages in his headlong retreat. A cyclist coming along the road had to run into the hedge 
to avoid imminent collision. "'Here we are, my dear,' said the bearer of the white Macintosh, coming in through the window. "'Barely muddy, but most of it's dry. Who is that who bolted out as we came up?' "'A most extraordinary man, a Mr. Nuttle,' said Mrs. Sappleton. "'Could only talk about his illnesses, and dashed off without a word of goodbye or apology when you arrived. One would think he'd seen a ghost.' "'I expect it was the Spaniel,' said the niece calmly. "'He told me he had a horror of dogs. "'He was once hunted into a cemetery "'somewhere on the banks of the Ganges "'by a pack of pariah dogs "'and had to spend the night in a newly dug grave "'with the creatures snarling and grinning and foaming "'just above him, enough to make anyone lose their nerve.' "'Romance at a short notice was her specialty.' Thanks for joining us for these great stories from Saki. I have an important update for all of you with regard to an upcoming new show here at 1001, and it's called 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. For those of you who are fans of stories about things that go bump in the night, this one is a barn burner. You'll love it. Be sure to catch The Lurking Fear by H.P. Lovecraft. We'll announce when that new show comes out on all of our podcasts, and it should be on most podcast hosts within a couple weeks. Thanks for joining us here tonight at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll see you then.